Welcome everyone to this week's edition of the Commercial Real Estate 101 Meetup Group. Uh, for those of you guys who are tuning in for the first time, uh, we've been doing this meetup for almost two years now. Uh, it's kind of started in response to the COVID-19 pandemic and, you know, everyone going virtual. And so, you know, we figured why not just bring people together to learn more about commercial real estate topics from all across the country. And it's given us the opportunity to connect with great people like Ron. Uh, Ron is an attorney in Dallas, and he does a variety of different commercial real estate functions, uh, both on the leasing end. Uh, he's worked with syndications as well. And that's going to be kind of the topic of discussion today. So Ron, welcome. And we're, we're excited to have you here. Hey, thank you. Happy to be here. Dude, of course. And if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chad is actually on the call right now, Chad Griffith. And I believe you was, you were on his uh, um, call meetup, or uh, I should say podcast as well. So you guys have connected in the past. So yeah, good to uh, see you, Chad. He's a... <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah, and it, it's kind of cool being able to do like these different, uh, you know, pod, podcasts and content creators and, su and such, because you get to, you know, just connect with so many different people. And it's, it's, it's kind of a small community, the commercial real estate industry is. So, you know, I'm excited to learn a little bit more about your backstory and then also get into the topic of commercial real estate syndication. So what we typically do when we first meet the individual is we like to learn a little bit more about the person. So if you don't mind sharing a little bit of your backstory, I think that'd be helpful. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm originally from Texas. You know, I grew up here. Uh, parents have always been involved in commercial real estate and other types of real estate investing. They've had their own businesses uh, in the North Texas area. Um, but uh, went to school at Cornell, up to New York, worked for a little bit, law school in Miami, um, took the Florida bar. Um, still pretty active in Florida. Um, I worked there and doing real estate work. Um, and then I came back to Dallas because um, I always knew that I wanted to come raise a family here. Uh, and, you know, to me, it was always very natural to start picking up like SFR. You know, I think I had a couple partners. My brother and I had one. But we're basically picking up one or two a year um, and just, you know, just collecting the rent. And, and it's great, you know, that's how I grew up. But fast forward to 2017, 2018 or so, um, I was getting married, um, buying a house, and, and we had a kid on the way. Um, I sold everything. So at that point, you know, I had six, six doors, even with property management, it just gets too much, right? Decision making, renewals, and appliances, and roofs. So I sold everything, which I thought was a good price at Texas in Texas at the time. Um, you know, probably still doubled since I sold those, but um, put everything into industrial. And so, you know, I, I did a very broad survey given that I'm a, a real estate professional. I had advised clients on office purchases and multifamily and um, uh, retail and uh, car washes, self storage. You know, I had seen clients and I'd helped them do it all. And I really liked industrial, it, it, you know, even at the time, which it wasn't quite in its darling phase, but these, these guys uh, had the best tenants. They never bothered them. They never bothered me. Um, and so that's what I wanted. You know, I, I wanted something with a longer lease term. I wanted to deploy more capital um, per investment, per underwriting. Cause again, I wasn't going to be one of these guys that can look at 10 deals a day. I just wanted to say, hey, let me look at five deals, six, seven, eight, pick one, put my money in, and then I don't have to invest for another 12 months, another 18 months. So um, 
So that's how I settled on industrial currently uh, with myself and a couple other guys. We have about a hundred thousand square feet of triple net. Um, they're mostly single tenant net lease buildings. Um, great tenants like, uh, I don't know, they're, they're a few billion in revenue. They're not publicly traded, but I guess they're credit, you know, like regional credit tenants. I don't know how you describe them. Um, they have audited financials, which is, which impresses me. <laughs> um, so, so they're great. Um, and everybody's paying, everybody's taking their rent bumps and, and taking everything in stride. Um, and, and I buy, you know, in addition to my law practice, which I manage here, um, we, and we, again, we've grown, uh, thanks to YouTube, I guess, um, have a little shop with, uh, attorneys and, um, a couple full-time staff and myself. Um, and yeah, and so I invest in industrial as well. You know, I think, I think Chad does that too. And, and I don't know, Rafael, do you have, you have your own deals too, right? I, I, is, is that in, on your end or my end? I think that's Veronica. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'll, I'll yep. mute that. Sorry. Um, no yeah, go ahead. Because uh, uh, Rafael, you put your money in your deals, right? I think. Well, yeah. So I, and I, I so I own a, I own a fourplex myself. I, I started off house hacking. So I actually come from a tech background. So I was a software implementation consultant for a while. And then I transitioned into commercial real estate. Before doing that, I was house hacking. And that's what enabled me to transition. And so we're working towards trying to get, uh, you know, commercial deals, primarily in the retail and industrial sector. That's just kind of what our brokers does a lot of. So that's kind yeah. of the, 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 I guess the ecosystem that I feel most comfortable in. And so, Absolutely. but, but, but yeah, at, at this point in time, we don't have, I don't personally have on, on the commercial end as of yet, but that's the ultimate goal uh, yeah. is to get that way. So, so, um, but, but, you know, you're on the path and, and, yeah. and if you own something to me, there's, there's just a huge gulf between the, the people who are planning and, and, um, analyzing and, and, you know, they're always scared about the market and they're like, Oh, am I buying too high? Oh, can, can, should I buy this industrial at six cap? Should I buy this multifamily at a five cap? I'm like, Holy cap looking backwards. You should have bought that at a five cap because it's trading at a three and, and, and seven, 3.75. Now it's crazy. Absolutely. And yeah, so it's, it's the time horizon. Like if you're going to hold it for as long as you, you want to hold it right for, for hopefully in perpetuity. I mean, even if you buy quote unquote at the top of the market right now, if you hold it for 30 years, I mean, you know, the ultimate value is going to be there. So for sure, for sure. So, yeah. so that's, you know, I think we're a, a secondary subset of commercial real estate professionals is, you know, people that also want to put their money into deals. Um, I, I, I love to share this advice. I got advice from this, you know, 40 year practicing attorney, um, the guy grew up and, and, and was raised, I don't know if he lived in the same house in Plano, which is a suburb of North Texas. And he was, we're, we're up opposite on a case and, and, uh, he just really liked me and said, Hey, you're a good guy. Like, come by, let's have lunch. So we closed the deal and we had lunch and he was just telling me, he was like, Oh, do you invest? And I said, yeah, you know, in residential, I was just having, picking up these little, like in Texas, we have a lot of like 250 houses, 200, 250K underneath. And I was like, I have a couple of these. I'm picking them up. He's like, oh, you got to put money in a big deal. And he said, uh, him and a partner a long time ago, you know, we see we see so many deals come across our desk, right? Dozens, um, I don't know, about hundreds. Maybe maybe you see more than us, but um, you see so many. And, and some of them are thin and some of them are okay. But eventually, sometimes they're home runs. And those are the deals you got to put your money in because we can earn a living and we can be quote, quote unquote rich. You can make a good living. You can pay for your kids. You can pay for your house, all that stuff. But if you want to be really 
rich and like actually have some money, you got to have some equity. You got to put your skin in. And, and we're in a unique position that we see so many deals. And, and for me, you know, I represent clients when they buy and when they sell. Uh, mm-hmm. So I guess same for you, but like, yeah. man, I see that Delta. I know exactly how much equity my one client relationship has and, and, and how we put that in. And then I know how much he's getting on the back end Cause I see his operating agreement. Um, just like, geez, this, this is what you got to do and just place a couple of calculated bets. The story for him was like, he bought, I don't know, like 118 or 150 unit apartment, him and a partner, just cash flow, blah, 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 sat on it. People were just offering him, you know, 8 million. Oh, okay, great. And we, sh- we don't want to sell. We like the cash flow. 12 million. Oh, okay, that's pretty good. That's, that's a good chunk of money, but split two ways, you know, blah. And then he's like, somebody offered $16 million. And this was even, you know, pre, pre crazy boom. But they were like, we just have to take it. This is, I don't say it's life changing, but for them, it was just so much free money that they, they, they could just relax. Uh, so they did sell it, um, in North Texas. And, um, and that's the story that I kind of, I want to emulate or, or have that flexibility of, you know, you've got to be an owner. Um, Mm -hmm. you've got to, um, have this, I don't call, I don't like passive cash flow. I don't think anything's really passive. It's you either put the money in, you put the work in upfront and then you put the money in later, or you have a constant balance of money and time, money and time, money and time, like our business. Um, but there's no such thing as passive cash flow. So anyway, but but you can create income-producing assets that that are you know a return on your initial capital. So if you want those types of assets that will still generate a lower return with a very little of your time, with less of your time. Um, then, then that's what you got to do. So, so that's my very long backstory. You know, I'm coming at it from a legal perspective. I do think that in our profession, it's a little bit more unique to have lawyers who are traditionally more conservative and, and they're all buttoned up and, uh, you know, they wear suits all the time and I don't do a tie, but, um, to find lawyers that put money into deals, you know, I'm, I'm willing to risk it. And, it's very different than a lot of my colleagues. Cause I tell my people like, Hey, you should put some money in this deal. Let's just put a hundred grand, put a 200 grand, whatever you, you might lose it, but you're not gonna lose all of it. You know, maybe you mm-hmm. lose half <laughs> yeah. or maybe you make no return. I honestly, I, I really think the, the, the worst case scenario for us is just no return. Like just get your principal back. Mm-hmm. Um, and they say, no, they're like, I don't want a chance, a risk of upside versus no loss. I'm just going to just put it in the stock market. I'm like, mm-hmm. Look at the market. It, it, what? It, it's exactly back to uh, to one year ago, year and a half ago. Yeah, and just it just kills me. All yeah. that time is quote quote wasted. Oh, absolutely. And and you know, and I think not only for the perspective of you know owning real estate, but that also makes you better in your business because now you're an owner, so you can advise someone from this perspective of an over owner. And I can't tell you how many times I've interacted with clients. And I tell them, okay, well, in my situation, you know, and again, I don't have a huge portfolio as of yet, but I could say, well, in my property, this is what I do. You know, this is how I handle this particular situation. And that makes a huge night and day difference, you know, and how people res- respect you and people interact with you. And, you know, uh, pertaining to your, your, uh, your experiences, obviously on the commercial side, you know, there's a lot of people on this call that are, you know, aspiring to get into the investment side as far as commercial real estate is concerned. And, you know, some people may have the dry powder to execute, but then there's others that don't. And that's kind of where, you know, I think this this potential 
you know, topic of syndication could be of value. And so really, if could you give us like a high level overview maybe of what a syndication is? I think that would kind of give us some context. And then from there, if you could break down, you know, the typically the responsibilities, I know there's obviously general GPs and then LPs. And if you can give a high level overview of each of okay. those, I think that'd be great. Yeah. I I've kind of done a couple of talks, you know, on this broader topic of just how to, how to raise money. Um, cause there's, there's a couple of different ways to skin that cat and, and collect the equity, um, to close a deal. So I'll kind of go through that. And then obviously a big part of that topic is the common reg D 506 offerings, which are the bread and butter of, of most real estate, uh, raises. So, um, I think the easiest way would just be assume, you know, it's a single owner, a single member LLC, you're putting up your own money as equity. That's savings for, uh, from a checking account. So let's say you buy a million dollar property, you put 200,000 down, it's your property. That's the easiest way. And, and what happens though, let's, let's start with that example, because of that 200,000, now we can start to slice it up and we start to say, how do we raise the 200,000 of equity needed to close this deal? Um, so I think in terms of complexity and difficulty and, and I don't know risk, but certainly cost, it would be the next step of just a partner. And, and you know, very easily, you know, I reach out to, uh, to Rafael and I say, hey, I've got this deal. It's a million dollar purchase price. I've got loan. I got financing uh, for 80% LTV. We need 200,000 ignoring closing costs, but 200,000 to close it. I'll put in a hundred and you put in a hundred. We will be partners um, in an LLC that takes title via the SPE, special purpose entity, but we're both equal members, uh, call it 50-50 for the sake of that. Uh, we split everything. The duties are 50-50. We both personally guarantee the loan. We're both responsible for kind of operating. That is the easiest and, and simplest way for somebody on this call to say, hey, I don't have $200,000 or you know, 20 million or 2 million, whatever your number, but I have one other partner um, and, and we can do it together. And so I, I say that because that is a very common way that you can, you can spread the risk, you can, you know, reduce your own capital needs um, and, you know, even step it up. So like in my examples, you know, we can have three guys. Uh, it's, it's a lot often kind of what we have uh, on our deals is we're, we're buying stuff in the, like, you know, call it 3 million, um, two, two to 6 million price range. So the equity is like a million bucks. So we'll just say, Hey, you guys write a check 300 K boom, boom, boom. And that's literally how we do it. Uh, granted, you know, I'm a lawyer and, and we're very comfortable with the operating agreement. Um, and uh, the high, there's a high level of trust because we've done deals, so many deals together, but that can be done. And you can take down a fairly significant portfolio across uh, these people doing what I call a classified, like a JV uh, direct you know, joint venture, uh, partnership agreement, direct in the LLC, and banks have no problem with that. If you're getting uh, regional lending, private banks, they're fully comfortable, you know, and, and you can have other investors. You might have four or five people. There's kind of a limit on complexity um, on the maximum number of people you want, but some of the new platforms, and this is total aside, but like Arrived, I don't know if you've seen that one that's Bezos-backed. Um, it's like fractional residential ownership, but non-security raised, not accredited investor. You can put a hundred bucks in and you become a member of the LLC that owns the dirt. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting in how they manage that. I think there's a lot of issues, but 
theoretically, they have like a thousand people. They have 500 people owning a share of this LLC um, that owns these houses, they're residential. So that's that's the next level. That, and, and again, in terms of incremental difficulty, complexity and cost, single owner, I put up all the equity in my, that's the lowest. Next is you add one partner, you add two partners, that's the next level. And then I would say the next level after that is what we commonly call syndication. Um, doing the, the GP sponsor, uh, limited partnership, which becomes a legal term, right? Um, we're jumping into no longer can you use words kind of interchangeably like uh, partner or member or you know managing member. Now we're getting into some legal terms of art, which is the process of, uh, let me back up a little bit. So if, if you wanted to sponsor the deal, again, that, that million dollar uh, commercial property and you need to raise 200,000, you say, hey, the problem is, you know, Raphael, I only have 50. I'm going to raise 150K, but I want to uh, assure my, my investors that they are limited partners. They have limited liability. They, they don't have management rights and they don't have uh, legal liability as the sponsor of the deal or as the general partner. And so what you're, what you're doing though, is essentially is you're selling a security and I don't need to go too far into the SEC side of things, but essentially you're selling a security, which is regulated, um, which re quote requires registration with the government or, or with the SEC um, because you're selling a financial product at this point. You're, you're promising a return. You're, base, you're, you're promising a return of capital and profit based on the efforts of others. So I'm getting a little bit too legal, but that's like the Howie test. And, and there's you know, the Orange Farm and, and all that um, uh, test and, and case law. But suffice to say, you kind of have to take it for face value. Um, if the people are not active members in the group and making decisions on leasing and, and lending and, and repairs and that sort of thing, um, they're limited partners and they're not active and their liability is limited, their role and their tax treatment is a little bit different, um, but you're selling a security. So in order to sell a security, you normally have to register that security with SEC, go through a full-blown registration process, very expensive, audited financials, all sorts of affidavits, statements, controls, gap accounting, big deal. So you have the Reg D, which is an exception. Um, and Rafael, let me know if this is too much in the weeds. Like, do you want me to just oh. skip to the... The, the good no, part no or, i think i think this yeah. is very very important to understand at least the the implications of it because you're right it is you're selling yeah. a security unlike in a partnership where you guys are all taking the risk together so That's you right. guys have equal you know your responsibilities may be different based on what the operating agreement says but the risk you take legally and financially is the same whereas in a, a syndication structure you know the gp is typically the one who's going to be you know guaranteeing the note the, the limited partners have limited responsibility or liability as far as the, the notes concerned, but you know, it, it's, it's just a completely different, it's governed by a completely different, you know, legal structure. That, That's right. That, you know, That's right. So. Yeah. And, and, and so I think it is important to convey at least in the sense so that people understand uh, what the risk is because when deals go sideways and, and I've seen sideways be very, very low, like, sideways is like just not hitting your, your 2.1 EM, you know, an equity multiple, you just hit a two O 
and some investors that you don't really know is super pissed off, they're going to sue you. They're going to say, I, I want my 2.1. I can't believe that you took your, your pro promote. I can't believe you took your disposition fee. I'm going to sue you because I want 2.1 on my equity and somebody will sue you. And so if you have my, my initial scenario, just the LLCs and somebody's not happy, hey man, there's direct liability. Everybody can sue. It's a very free flowing back and forth versus uh, when you have this LP, the LP can sue, you're insulated. You've, you've created a different legal structure. And yes, while you do have more responsibility to maybe the outside world, your liability to the inside insiders is less. And so there's disclosures, there's PPMs, the private placement uh, memorandums, there's the offering memorandum, uh, there's all these disclosures and um, you know, statements about, about the deal that protect you as a sponsor from a disgruntled investor. And this is somebody who puts money into your deal. And again, I, I've seen it. It's, it's not even that the deal goes sideways. If, if there's no money to be had, people are not as inclined to, uh, to sue. But when there's a, a, lot, a good return, but then the sponsor takes a promote or the sponsor takes a dispo fee and somebody is just marginally unhappy, that's when they, they get really angry. And especially if you guys are syndicators and you're saying like, how do I broaden my network? How do I expand my circle? Well, the, the caveat to that is when you broaden your circle, you're, you're by default uh, meeting people that you have less of a relationship with and you don't know them. You don't know if they're very litigious or if they're, you know, just kind of a-holes to deal with. I don't know how to describe it, but you don't know them, right? You're, you're, you're literally saying, Ron, I've expanded the capital of my friends and family and people I know and trust. I'm going out to the broader market to, you know, a, a, a friend of a friend, a friend of Chad's, a friend of Raphael that heard about the deal. You don't know him. So you need to protect yourself so that they don't sue you. And that's what that... Um, uh, I would say, you know, the Reg D 506 offering does. You're putting out these disclosures internally to protect yourself from investors that, yes, you may have a pre-existing relationship. And, um, you know, I, I know a lot of the people uh, love doing the email and they do like a five-minute Zoom uh, because their lawyer has said that that will establish a pre-existing relationship for non-accredited investors. And, and I love it. I mean, it's all just kind of this song and dance that's legal posturing anyway, but they do it right. Because it checks that box of saying, Hey, we hopped on a zoom call. Now we know each other. And now I'll offer you my next deal. And you can be one of my 35 non-accredited investors. But I just feel like it's, it's all kind of a farce, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's meeting a, a, some lawyers security and, and, and full disclosure guys, I, I am not a securities attorney. I, I don't do the securities day in and day out. Uh, I'm a commercial real estate. We do nuts and bolts. We do PSAs. We do uh, title and survey review. We do lender documents. We um, review a ton of leases. We draft leases. Um, so what I do is I, I do securities uh, raises for my clients, but with a securities attorney that we, we kind of partner with. So um, I guess that's my disclosure in the middle of our, of our live interview, but that's my disclosure on this. You know, I'm not a security attorney. So if I, if I misquote something, you know, securities guys, please let me know. They love to reach out to me. Sometimes my other videos, I have guys saying, technically it's not this technically. And I'm like, okay, well, 
I'm in a YouTube video. So um, hey, that's part of content creation, man. You get comments <laughs> and people saying I, stuff. I but... love it. I love it. If oh, you can't, sure. you're not big until you have haters. So. No, and it's not even haters, you know, they're just, you know, again, and when you're doing something like this where it's live, I mean, again, you, you try to be as, as eloquent and fluent as possible, but there's certain things that, you you know, maybe a word slips here and there, and it's just part of just interacting with someone on a, on a, you know, on a, on this level. Sure. So, yeah. you know, just, it ends up happening. But one thing I wanted to go kind of go back a little bit on was related to, you know, the way that you would mention accredited versus non-accredited. So when you're talking about these structures of, of how you structure syndications, obviously there's, there's multiple different types. So could you kind of elaborate on that and then kind of distinguish what, what an accredited investor is, and then also, you know, the, the latter uh, structure as well, or the latter as well. Yeah. So um, I, I think what you're referring to is, uh, well, I'll go through a credit investor. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to double check the standards right now. It's, it's what, 200,000 annual income uh, for the last two years with a like two a, or three. Yeah. Yeah. It's like two or three uh, years. Two, two or three. And then um, 300,000 if you're married, uh, married couple. Um, and then uh, if, if that will continue. Uh, in expectation, or you can have the asset test, uh, which is a million dollars in, in assets, I think excluding your primary as well. So, so there's all this test and, and it has been kind of interesting, you know, for me in particular, cause I've watched some of the testing evolve. So, so if anybody's been out there raising money for a while, it used to be the, all the accreditation was just self self-verification, you know, it was like, I get a form and I just check, check. And then, and then the sponsor could rely on that. And I think, couple of deals went sideways and, and people said, well, I'm actually not accredited. The sponsor has a duty to start, try to verify that uh, the investor actually is. So they've introduced third parties now, right? Your lawyer, your CPA can get involved, look at the tax returns or your CPA can just check off on behalf of a taxpayer. Um, and so those forms have really changed over the last couple of years. Um, so it's interesting that, again, the law hasn't changed, but the interpretation and best practices have. So this is why, you know, you have to kind of stay on top of, uh, of, of what your securities lawyer says. Um, and um, yeah, so, so let's, that's accredited. And so um, uh, uh, 506B can have uh, 35 non-accredited investors. And I think that's maybe where you're getting at. There's, it's a little bit of nuance where 506C, um, and so again, what we're quoting is the sections of the US code that allow um, this type of investment. So it's, it's uh, regulation 506 subparagraph B, like Bravo, or subparagraph C. And that's what it's just kind of called in the industry. Um, based on the requirements in that particular paragraph. So sometimes people get get tripped up on that, but, you know, we're dealing with just really a very, very narrow slice of capital raising in the world, because again, 30,000 foot, you know, real estate, commercial real estate is an alternative asset class. It is very small in terms of the traditional capital raising of the world, where you have the major players are equities and bonds, right? Those, those are the major fixed income um, and, and equity capital. Most capital raising is focused on equity uh, for companies or for funds or for you know CMBS. All those different products are fine, but they're financial products that are devoid of owning physical, tangible goods. And so I think it's important to understand, again, that context just because 
people raise a few hundred billion or you know tens of billions in real estate, it's a drop in the bucket compared to all the other equity classes. So you're not going to get a priority. You're not going to get focus from most of the players because real estate is an alternative asset class. I mean, you, 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 people look at commercial real estate and maybe we've grown in the last couple of years um, uh, just because of the low yields, but you know, with, with interest rates going up now, all the fixed income traders are going to leap back into life and they're going to be raising tens of millions, hundreds of millions, again, for fixed income bond uh, funds that are just going to trade. Uh, Forex is going to come back with all the global instability. Um, you don't have this focus on alternative asset classes. Like, you know, literally it's like crypto, it's like uh, tax conservation, solar credits, R and D credits. These things are just, they're, they're drops in the bucket compared to the equity and bond market. Uh, what, what a $1 trillion bond market. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I just say that again for more 30,000 foot. So you guys understand. So we're dealing with just, we have a couple of ways to raise capital, but they're so small. They're like just a couple paragraphs, reg D um, reg S is for foreign investors. So that's something a little bit interesting. You know, if you raise and you market solely to foreign nationals, uh, people who don't have U.S. Uh, are not on U.S. soil um, and are not green card holders or um, uh, U.S. citizens, you can file under Reg S and you don't have to do a Reg D. You could do Reg D plus Reg S, but Reg S are for foreigners. Reg D um, is, you know, for, for this. Um, you have Reg A, you have Reg CF. Um, and some of these actually are coming into vogue for real estate capital now. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. They raised uh, you know, some of the amounts. So that's why we've seen the rise of things like Fundrise, um, uh, crowdfunding on the internet. Um, I don't know. I've seen a lot of different platforms, uh, but those are using different exceptions to raise from non-accredited investors, but they're, they're filing under a different exception, uh, exemption from registration. So Again, kind of got got off topic, and I apologize. But but again, it's more that background context to five hundred six B, five hundred six C are the most common um, ways to raise capital to buy commercial real estate. They will be closed end funds in the sense that I, I use that word to say you know it's a specific asset. So you're not raising for a general asset type. That would be more of like an open ended fund where you say like. Hey, Raphael, you know, I'm going to raise $50 million in equity. I'm going to be buying industrial properties near rail yards, and they're going to be located in Texas and Oklahoma. That's it. That's my criteria. But, but why should you give me your money? Because I'm Ron Rohde. I'm so great. This is the thesis. I haven't identified what I'm going to buy yet, but here's a list of 300 properties that we could acquire um, that meet our criteria. And I'll pick the best ones. You put your money in. Um, and that's, again, that's kind of next level uh, beyond the close end, because while 506 uh, B and, and C are, are really popular for just single asset or even a portfolio of assets, they're all identified. So I'm putting money into a specific asset. I'm, I'm explicitly saying, for example, I'm investing in 123 Main Street or 123 Main Street plus 901 Elm and you know 511 Oak Street those three assets together. That's fine. That's still identified and it's, and it's closed. And the risk is a lot less to me as an investor 
uh, because I've identified, I, I've, I've maybe performed some level of property due diligence that I just have a higher level of trust versus that next level after you get beyond 506 is just doing a $50 million, $100 million fund. A fund. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I say that because I mean, like technically it's kind of like a fund, but, um, but yeah, so, so those are the main ones. I, and I think that again, I've had people ask me like, Hey, Ron, do I even need a security attorney? I can download PPMs uh, online. Um, there's services that sell it for a couple hundred bucks. Um, and I say, sure, you know, you don't even need to download it. Just, just, just get the offering from somebody else. The, the core documents are really not what you're paying for, you know, for better, for worse, you're, you're paying the $15,000, right? That's kind of the market rate. I'd say now you're paying the 15 K for the changes that they make based on you as an investor, you as a GP, which you have different disclosures and your property risks, which are different. So you download something for a multifamily deal in, in Houston. Uh, that's a 400 unit, uh, three building property with, you know, 92% occupancy. You're going to do Fannie debt. Uh, you've got this KP, blah, blah, blah. That is not identical to yours because I think your deal, this hypothetical, the cheap client that comes to me says, well, you know, I'm buying a 380 unit in, um, in Austin MSA, uh, but it's at 88 percent occupancy. And so we need the different Fanny product um, to not hit, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not a lender, but you know, what I'm mm -hmm. talking about like, there's these different yeah. uh, multifamily, like really granular products that you can qualify for. If you keep, if you maintain 90% occupancy and then they say, Oh, I'm not a KP. I'm going to pay somebody else to be a KP on my deal. Um, I have other GPs that are raising funds for me as a GP. And I, and so I tell them like, look, these are, these are differences. You're in different markets with different types of, of economic risk, different tenant profiles. Um, even if they're both class A, they're not, they're not quite the same. They are, they're different years of construction. They have different types of roofs on them. They have different, you know, pool or no pool or gym or no gym or dot, you know, underground parking, right. A parking, like, those are the changes that you need to reflect as disclosures, because literally if, and again, I don't know if I'm being too granular, but it's um, the idea that if you don't disclose that you have a um, uh, parking garage underneath your structure and you don't disclose that there could be structural risks uh, due to the crumbling of the concrete or the erosion of this. And, and that, you know, we may lose money because of parking lot. An investor can sue you and say, I didn't know that there was a parking structure. Oh my gosh. I never would have invested in this deal if he didn't mm -hmm. tell me about this huge structural issue, whether it was known or unknown is just it's not in the documents. And so that's what you're paying for because they will look at all of your property level information and they will make changes um, based on the changes in your deal. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're not, yes, it, 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 it takes an hour. It takes two hours for them to do all that process, but it's the expertise of knowing, okay, Ron, parking lot's a stupid example. That doesn't really matter. What I really care about is, you know, the, the adjacent zoning use, or like there's a landfill less than two miles away. That's what I care about disclosures based on, you know, and I don't know what they are, but that's what you're paying for. And so, um, yeah, you, you, for sure you could, copy anybody else's PPM and, and change the names and change the addresses. 
but you're paying the attorney for, for the changes. So I just caution people is, you know, if you're raising 3 million bucks, 5 million bucks, you know, it would be, it's just so silly to, to save 15 K on that type of raise. And if, and if you're not making enough profit that you say your DD costs are too thin, you can't, can't afford another 20 K, um, for legal, I would say, you know, find another deal, uh, find something with more meat on the bone because you're, you're overpaying, uh, or you're under raising equity, uh, because, the the legal ramifications again personal liability they're going to sue you for all the gain that you made all the equity that you put into the deal that mm. becomes ground zero for these securities plaintiffs lawyers that uh, i used to be in miami it, it was a huge practice um in miami of plaintiffs securities attorneys that they just they just sue all these gps for failure to disclose, right? You don't even need yeah. to lose money, but it's like, you didn't disclose this. So I'm going to sue you and, and you have assets. Um, but yeah, but yeah I mean, that's it, kind of my cautionary tale. Oh, for sure. And I think it's like you said, that's a very wise thing to say, because you're right. If you're, if you're raising capital for these larger deals, I mean, $15,000 is, is, is nothing compared to what could the, the cost could be if something were to occur that that is outside what you expected and and really you pay someone for their expertise and all the scenarios of things that could potentially go wrong because if if, if securities attorneys have been in the business for 30 years they've seen a lot of things so they understand what could potentially go wrong and then helpfully helpfully help you mitigate those risks uh, on yeah. your offering so just to just to provide a quick overview just so that we understand for those who are listening you know, you, you mentioned the 506B, uh, that allows you to allow a certain amount of, a, of unaccredited or non-accredited investors in the deal. And typically those those investors, you have to have some form of, you know, contact beforehand. Is that correct? Um, yeah, you need to have a pre-existing relationship, mm-hmm. um, which which they've said is, you know, just kind of a Zoom call outside mm-hmm. of the uh, the capital raise context. Um I mean, there's a couple more too. I, I, I'll just say, you know, part of the 506 rules is basically you you are exempt and you will qualify as a safe harbor. Um, so that's really proving that you don't need to register this security offering if you follow the rules under 506B. Um, that's, that's the whole thing with these types of registrations is that you're exempt. You're in a safe harbor for registration because the, the failure to register penalties, again, are very, very strict from the SEC. Um, and so you want to make sure you comply with the things there are restrictions like on general, uh, solicitation, right? So you can't do Instagram ads for a reg D offering. And I think that, um, you can talk to five different securities attorneys who will all give you five different levels of public solicitation, right? So, and I agree, it's hard because these days people will post on like Facebook, on a comment and be like, Oh, I'm raising money for my deal. Contact me. Is that a public solicitation? I mean, yes and no. On on one sense, it's public. Maybe it's made out to the world, but it it was maybe directed. I could be replying in a direct comment to you and they're going to argue, well, it's not really meant for the public. It's not, it's not intended to have a broad reach, but the consequences, and I can't control if I send an email to Chad and he forwards it to a hundred people. I didn't intend for it to be broadly public like that. So um, just, just be aware of that because it's a question that you'll need to come up with your marketing plan of how do I raise this capital? You know, how do I find the deal 
uh, exposure so that if somebody wants to invest and you're going to have to balance that internally and talk with your securities attorney about what is it that we plan to do to get the exposure out there for this deal um, so that we can raise enough money. And, and uh, so the securities attorneys that I know, like they'll work with you on all of your marketing as well. They'll review your language, your disclaimers, uh, who you plan to send this to, how you plan to distribute it, whether it's, um, you know, I think these days, again, it's mostly emails, right? Email blasts um, and uh, Zoom uh, webinars, uh, maybe in person. People, I think those are always okay, like to hold a seminar or to chat people up directly. But other than that, right, you don't have your traditional marketing to say, you know, you can't just, just post on YouTube, for example, like only about a deal. Mm-hmm. That that yeah. to me would be public solicitation. You can't buy Instagram ads. You can't buy Facebook ads. You can't buy Google ads um, to to advertise. So sure. there's a line between advertising education or brokerage services versus um, hey, I've I've got a deal, you know. And it really has Absolutely. to do ultimately with like how are you? Um, what's the lead? How are you hooking people? Is it is it based on a return? Do you use the words like invest? Uh, if you do, you're probably going to get black flagged. But if you say like, hey, I'm Raphael, then 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 that's okay. Um, yeah, no, for sure. And, and that's important designation because I know a lot of people, you know, that that are getting into the content creation space and you have to be cognizant about how you're portraying yourself for a variety of different reasons. But in particular, if you're going to be eventually trying to raise money for, for deals, like you can't directly solicit someone for a particular deal on your YouTube video. So you just got to be very careful with that. So I wanted to give some flexibility for people on the call as well to ask any questions. So what I'll go ahead and do is I will open it up to questions. Um, so if you guys are in the zoom call, feel free to type away in the chat box. And if you guys are on LinkedIn, I will be checking as well for comments. So feel free to, to type away there. Um, so I'll look at the Zoom call real quick. It looks like we do have one question. Um, so Stephen was asking, what's a good way to screen people as you're you know, going through the process of determining whether or not they're a good candidate for, inv- like for them to invest in, in a property? Yeah. Um, I, again, I, I think you got to talk with that with your, with your GP team. Um, and you do kind of internally rank people. Uh, I know if it gets close to the deal and, and you're not quite there, you, you'll take more risk um, than, than you normally would if you're oversubscribed, right? You get to pick and choose. I would say the good way is really just to try to talk to them. You know, the best investors are people that truly understand and truly can stomach the risk, right? You want, you want the really rich person that's doing this purely as, as lunch money, purely as like a bet on, on roulette at, at Vegas. And, they, and when they say, I don't need this money, I can lose it. It's not going to cause me heartburn. That's a good person if you believe them when they say that. Um, so I would say that, you know, understanding and really comprehending the disclosures, um, you know, if they have a lawyer look at their documents and then they still want to move forward, I think that's a good sign. Um, I've, I've 
don't know. I review a fair amount of like LP stuff for, for other people. Um, and when they still invest, I think that's a good sign of commitment to the GP because it really kind of doubles them down. You know, it, it makes them that much more trusting of the GP team, which you want trust from your investors. That's a high level. Um, obviously experience um, going through full cycle, going through a long deal um, is great. If you, if you can find an LP that's done that. Um, other than that, you know, it's a, it's a balance because I'll, I'll be, you know, for me personally, I talk to people that want to invest. And if you ask too many questions, I just get, I get annoyed. Um, and I don't say if there are too many questions, but do you know what I mean? There, there are questions that I kind of feel like you should know as opposed yeah, there, there's to there's a certain level of research you do ahead of time whereas you know and, and that's that's in any professional setting where you know you would expect someone to have a little bit of of understanding of what's going on but you know again it just depends on the individual yeah so. like I, I want them to ask good questions but just a couple like mm -hmm. give me your top three but don't mm -hmm. ask me what the the market vacancy is in in tarrant county right in fort worth uh don't ask me what the market vacancy is because it's like 1%, it's 2%, it's 2% everywhere. Like what's, what, what's the point? What are you really going to gather mm -hmm. from that? And, and what are you going to tell me versus somebody saying, what's your optimal repositioning? You know, you have your plan A, but on plan B scenario, uh, what would be your trigger for you to decide when you do A or B? I like that question because it's really good. Like, that's great, Ron. You've got your plan A, you've got your plan B. But strategy how, it's more strategy, strategy and what's is. the trigger and 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 yeah. is that trigger like very clear is it time-based is it market-based um because that to me will determine a lot of risk and it, it's a good question because if i was an lp and my sponsor or my the guy in control if he doesn't really have that clear he doesn't really know how to pull the trigger confidently himself so you know i i'm always in favor of decisive action right like choose a lane but but put your signal on and, and go move over whatever you do. Don't straddle because straddling, you just, you just bleed to death. Um, so I would respect, or I would like really like that question of what's your trigger and, and you know, how quickly can you decide? So. Yeah. Good, good, good call. And, and obviously, you know, if, if they're accredited, for example, you're going to have to them some forms to provide them to verify in fact that they do have the requisite, um, income and or the assets to be able to invest in an opportunity so that's part of the screening i'm sure but like you said i, I imagine part of it is just getting a feel for them and having a conversation i mean most people if they're going to invest you know whatever they're going to invest fifty thousand twenty five thousand a hundred thousand they're going to probably want to have a conversation uh with you first before they do that so just take advantage of that that Maybe. conversation. Twenty five k. Well, I know I'm just I'm <laughs> I'm throwing out a number. It could be whatever your threshold is, like a hundred grand. I mean, if if I was gonna if I was gonna invest fifty thousand with someone, I would probably want to have a conversation with them, right? Uh, at least my my logic would be that, but who knows? Um, um there's another one too. I think Brent yeah. said, uh, "Can you structure your LLC to cut down on lawsuits?" Um, so definitely, you know, I I think that asset protection, um at the individual or GP or company level is different than at the SPE because at the, uh, at the property level operational, you're going to have your SPE. And that's again, kind of like people on the ground, the slip and fall accidents, the vendor who gets hurt, the contractor who, who breaks his neck, um, the tenant who gets hurt on the property. That's, that's one thing. And that structure is 
pretty much set. You can't do a whole lot because you're already pretty well protected. The next level is how do I protect Raphael as an individual? And, and how do I protect Raphael's company um, as a GP in relation to an individual project? Because now their, their position is uh, opposed to the project itself, uh, you know, like lawsuits from the project against, uh, I don't say call management, but sponsoring group, um, you, know, you know, if you have other GPs uh, or outside liability from other parties, not just your internal product. So, so yeah, you know, we, we can talk a little bit about that, but that's really a separate question. It's, it's certainly not related to the syndication side because that stuff is, is very well protected from the operational um, uh, operational dirt level, I'd call it. So, yeah. And there's a, a question from James. To the extent that you've seen or had your own success in multifamily deals, has it all been agency debt or are there other capital sources out there? Oh, for sure. For sure. So, you know, again, full disclosure, I, I haven't done multifamily. I haven't been a sponsor. Um, I'm, I'm familiar with it. Uh, check out my YouTube. I do a great video with uh, Ethan, who is a, a key principal, and he's like one of these KPs for hire. Uh, it's kind of cool, but um, he just keeps money liquid. And then he's got his whatever Fannie Mae guarantor card or whatever you call it. Um, but, um, yeah, I would check out that video on YouTube, Ronald Roded law. Um, but there are other capital sources. Absolutely. Um, you can, you can definitely still go to regional banks, uh, credit unions, you know, they, they still have pretty good rates. Their loan amounts are going to be smaller, right? They can't lend as much, but if you have a, a smaller town deal, a smaller purchase price and a smaller market credit unions. I've seen them give really good rates even now. I mean, I had a client that just locked in at, in the fours and I'm over here closing a deal at 5.4 on industrial, uh, in DFW. I'm like, Holy cow. But, but that's the credit union, you know, they're lending deposits. So they're still making a spread between 1% and, and four and a quarter. So, um, yeah, there's definitely agent, other sources. I, I would say that, you know, you just need to reach out to them and see what their unique advantage is. Um, I've been uh, involved in a lot. So again, sidebar, um, I used to do EB-5 financing. So I, uh, I'm Chinese. I, I speak Mandarin Chinese. My, uh, my mom's from Taiwan. And so I did a lot of EB-5. And so EB-5, which if you're not familiar, is like investment immigration. Foreign nationals can invest money into the US. They get a green card. We create some jobs, blah, blah, blah. It was used a lot, you know, billions of dollars was coming in for real estate financing. And so that would be a, a perfect example of people were just kicking out bank debt because they didn't need it. You know, they could raise all their money from EB-5. Um, and, and that is something that it kind of comes in vogue. It becomes popular um, and then it fades away. But that's not to say you can't figure out what the next capital source is going to be. You know, Israeli bonds for a while were, were really hot. Um, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but, but like, uh, you, you, you were able to put up collateral, um, and sell bonds on the Israeli bond market, um, for a while. So, so yeah, there's always going to be other sources other than banks, credit unions, private lenders, uh, family office, I think is, is good partners. Um, life codes, uh, life codes are great too, because they can lend on the full capital stack so they can give you debt, um, and give you mez and, um, 
uh, and even come in in equity. And then they'll look at a blended return, but they're willing to like take the full risk of the full cap stack. Um, and again, these are pretty, pretty high level. So to the extent Raphael is talking about beginners, um, you're going to be have to have a pretty solid track record to go to life Um, but that's not to say you can't tar target that eventually. Um, absolutely. Great, great advice. Um, uh, I, I think, think Steven has a, a question. Yeah. I, I, I saw that. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't type away. I didn't see the, the, the question. He has his hand type. raised on my little thing. Oh, he does? Oh, okay. <laughs> Did you want to ask a question, Stephen? That's okay. Uh, yeah, I asked my question, but I'd love to talk offline. Uh, thanks so much, Ron and Raphael, for doing such a great job on this webinar. Fantastic. Oh, absolutely, man. Glad, yeah. glad you were able to make it, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I think we have enough time for, let's say, one more question. I want to make sure we keep keep to the hour. Uh, Brian made a comment that I thought was kind of, kind of funny. He said, my corporations professor would always say shareholders are walking liabilities. So always, uh, yeah, keep as few as, as possible or, you know, I do think again, my, my best advice too, is, you know, capital is really easy. Uh, capital is fungible. It's, it's highly liquid and, and everybody's looking for yield, uh, or looking for, for hedging inflation hedging, but, um, build up a little bit of a track record. If you have a good deal, capital will come, you know, that that's just guaranteed. People really kind of focus on the money raising, but yes, you can set up the structure, but if you have a good deal, you can raise the money. Um, and, and if you're having trouble getting the money, it's maybe not of a good, good as a deal as you think. Um, but that's true for debt. That's true for, for equity. Um, the other caveat to that would be time. You know, I I've seen really good deals raise, a lot of money, but then they're a little bit short and they just can't expose the deal to enough people in time to close. And so what happens is they come up to an LP and it's uh, a week before, two weeks before closing. And they're like, Hey, you know, we just need another 300 K we need another 400. The guy knows if you're talking to me at this level, this stage, you can juice it for more return and you can renegotiate the terms, the return, uh, because you, they need the money to close. And so that's just something to consider is, you know, give up some point. It's better to close a deal and save it for all your other investors and make that investor a lot of money um, than to, to, I don't know, not close. Lose it, lose an opportunity for yeah. sure. All right. So Clarence had one question. We'll, we'll go ahead and wrap up after it said, if you have a key principal KP who signs off on a loan, who the who liability what liability if any do the rest of the general partners gps have yeah i mean i think they're still liable um to the extent it's, it's non-recourse um the key principle is really just kind of like extra um i i kind of view them as a as more of a guarantor like on a loan but uh if 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 you are going to be a responsible party you don't have to be the key principle level but you're still you're still involved you're you you can still sign off uh, co-GPs are different, um, if they're, if they're lower down and, and I hate to, you know, it's kind of just your specific deal, but, um, I've seen them structure it differently. You can, you can drop them off. If the co-GPs are small enough, they, they just don't exist to the lender. Mm -hmm. So for advice, Clarence has a huge thing on LinkedIn. So, uh, he does. He's check, awesome. check, check him out as an influencer. Absolutely. I would highly recommend that as well. He does a lot on LinkedIn. So you guys should definitely be following Clarence. Um, well, great. Ron, 
greatly appreciate your time. I know yeah. you're super busy. It's always great to connect. If someone wanted to learn more about what you do, you know, I would highly encourage you guys to subscribe to this YouTube channel. Always provides phenomenal information. Uh, he has, he's also been on a ton of podcasts. So, you know, check out those as well. But uh, if you want if someone want to learn more about you, what, what, how, how can they best do so? Yeah, I would say, you know, just uh, check out our website or, or my email is ron at Ronald Rody Law. That's R O N at R O N A L D law law.com uh mm -hmm. just shoot me an email you know I'm, I'm happy to chat i i love commercial real estate uh i just talk about it all the time you know if you're my wife you probably want to shoot my shoot me in the face but um i'm doing a video right now as well like how to balance commercial real estate and your life because it's something that i was just thinking like this is a really big issue but i love talking about it so people shoot me emails you know non-legal questions, industrial market questions. Um, happy to chat. And um, yeah, that's, that's the best way. Of course. And we'll include all that stuff in the description as well. So if you, we're going to be recording this, it's going to be on the YouTube channel as well. So if you guys are watching this on YouTube, it'll be in the description below. And if you guys are listening to this in a podcast format, we broadcast it live on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera. It'll be in the description as well as well. So Ron, thanks so much for stopping by. And thank you all for stopping by as well. We'll see you all next time.